0: We got the alternative energy right. kill our free autonomy we and well, welcome we to the radioactive show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the community radio network.
1: Welcome to the radioactive show. I'm Michaela. This week we'll get a report back from the recent radioactive exposure tour organized by Friends of the Earth's anti-nuclear campaign. The Radioactive Exposure Tour is an educational trip that takes participants to visit sites, meet with traditional owners, local communities impacted first-hand and those involved in resisting the nuclear industry's activities at all different stages of the nuclear chain. Over the last 20 years, these tours have exposed thousands of people to the realities of radioactive racism and the environmental and social impacts of uranium mining, atomic testing, radioactive waste disposal, and the push for nuclear expansion. The tour set off from Melbourne on Saturday the 27th of June, travelled first through New South Wales, and then South Australia, finishing for some at the Students of Sustainability Conference in Adelaide. Today we'll get to hear some reports from two of the tour organisers, Hannah and Jamila, and also an excerpt from an interview that was recorded during the tour. Hannah, part of the Radioactive Tour 2015 Organising Collective with Friends of the Earth Melbourne, joins us first up.
2: So the Radioactive Exposure Tour of 2015 was an epic two-week travel. We did about 5,000 kilometres. We basically were looking at the nuclear landscapes of New South Wales and South Australia. So we... Um, there was 25 people, and we did a variety of things. We included the Lucas Heights reactor, which is Australia's only nuclear reactor. Then we saw Australia's only two operating uranium mines in South Australia. We also learned about nuclear weapons testing, and we met with various communities who've been resisting the nuclear industry for oh, many, many decades now. So it was a very, it was a really inspiring
1: trip, actually. Intense. Like, you really got to cover so many aspects of the impacts of the, the nuclear industry. What stood out to you as memorable from from this year's tour?
2: Oh, there were just so many highlights. Um, I guess the first that comes to mind is uh, that the RAD tour went to New South Wales, so it was the first time that had happened um, so we met up with the uranium free New South Wales, which is a community group resisting the uh, expansion of uranium mining and exploration because previously there was a moratorium, so it was a nuclear free state and now that's been overturned so there's all sorts of um, nuclear projects on the on the horizon uh, so we um, yeah, so we were con- sort of connecting the dots we were connecting the dots between the new projects that are on on the on the go, also with the, it was really interesting to go to the reactor actually at Lucas Heights. Um, they gave us a lot of spin, you know, saying that re- radiation is really safe, and um, we had a whole bunch of kids with us, and they gave them free atomic toys. So it's all a bit bizarre.
1: What were the atomic toys?
2: <laughs> they were a little. Uh, I can't remember what their names were. They were like Professor Proton and. Nelly the Neutron, and, you know, just everything had... Um, it just all had spin, like everything was just so positive. How could there possibly have been any protest against this? This is making everyone's lives so much better. And it was interesting, actually, a few people that came on the tour this year had been involved in the Atomic Free Embassy protests, uh, sort of in the 70s and 80s. So they basically they set up a camp outside the Anthro facility, um, as a, a public information point and, and giving the, the other sides of the story. So during our trip at, at some of our campsite chats, we got to see some photos from those protests and hear about uh, you know, the alternative viewpoints. Mm. Another highlight was also in New South Wales, um, there's, a, there's a many nuclear-free groups that have been popping up. One of them is Nuclear Free Dubbo, Basically, there's a a rare earth mine that's been approved, and rare earth and uranium sort of go together, like they're tied up um, like geologically. They're they're side by side. So this mine that's been approved will have radioactive tailings, and basically, it's it's going to be right outside of Dubbo, which is one of New South Wales' main country towns. Um, so we had a really interesting and very lively public meeting that we helped to sort of facilitate and it was really fascinating to hear different people in the community's perspectives one of the CEOs from the um from Alkane Resources which is the company behind the, the mine um, so he turned up there was obviously a lot of community resistance and um there was a lot of questions fired at this Alkane Resources employee so yeah, it was really interesting being at that beginning point of a mine and seeing how many questions people had, and how the company just, and also the New South Wales government weren't providing any answers, or weren't providing enough information, and you know community consultation just pretty much wasn't happening. Like if we didn't, if we hadn't have helped the local group to put on this meeting, they might never have had any opportunity to express their opinions and also to seek further information like there just wasn't many options
1: yeah oh that's so fantastic. interesting to
2: see the nuclear industry is just continuing to be rolled out in so many forms and from so many perspectives like so many angles mm. and being right there at that new like it's just a new frontier a new form of nuclear colonialism
1: the tour this year finished in for some, anyway, in Adelaide at the Students of Sustainability Conference. What was that like coming from the tour and then being able to, yeah, head into that with all fresh with all the, the new knowledge and experiences from the tour? Mm.
2: It was especially because the Students of Sustainability was in South Australia and there's this uh, South Australia Royal Commission into the nuclear industry that's happening as we speak. Um, and it was really one of the main issues that was being discussed every day in all these different forums at the conference. And, you know, we've just been travelling through some of these sites that have, that, that South Australia is um, some of its main sort of radioactive sites. Like we went to Woomera, which is where the um, weapons testing was done in the, in the around the 50s and 60s. We went to Olympic Dam, Australia's largest uranium mine. We went to um, Beverly Uranium Mine, which is an in situ leach mine, so we'd been to these places and met with the employees and and heard how yeah, expansion and making money is really on the forefront of the industry's mind. And so, taking that immediate experience to the conference and hearing everyone give, like hearing basically the community um, resisting the industry, it was great to connect that on-the-ground experience to the community resistance. And,
0: um, yeah, there were
2: some really great protests at SOS. Uh, there were some great um, um, forums le- led by traditional owners. Um, Uncle Kevin Buzzacott was there speaking out strong against uranium. Um, Mitch from around Alice Springs and Annie Sue Coleman-Hasseldean. So there's just so much resistance there. Um, We're not hearing in the mainstream that the nuclear industry definitely isn't listening to. So it's great to be really inspired and continue the fight because we need to keep fighting.
1: Yeah, great. And so, um, yeah, what plans have you got going forward from the tour and building on this?
2: Mm, So I think there's a lot of work to support the traditional owners and the community in South Australia to... show this Royal Commission that expansion isn't the only option, that actually we need to recognize, first recognize our nuclear history and the nuclear racism that's been happening for decades, and secondly, to fight to keep the stuff in the ground. Um, So, yeah, it was inspiring to see that there's so many people in South Australia who are uh, working on the campaign. Hopefully, we're going to try and get more people involved from Melbourne with Friends of the Earth and the ACE Collective, the Anti Nuclear and Clean Energy Collective. We'll be working closely with people in South Australia in Adelaide and traditional owners to um, to help amplify their voices. I guess there's a there's a big gathering coming up. Ant for this Australian Nuclear Free Alliance. They've got a meeting in October. We're going to hope to do some big fundraising events and help with logistics and do what we can from Melbourne to um, be part of that that national network for a nuclear-free future.
1: Broadcast across the land on the Community Radio Network, this is the Radioactive Show. That was Hannah Walters, part of the Radioactive Exposure Tour 2015 Organising Collective, sharing some stories from the recent adventure. As Hannah mentioned, one of the great things about the tour is that it brings together experienced campaigners with a wealth of knowledge and skills from the movement's long history of resistance to nuclear activities with those who are newer to the campaign. Even for those involved for a long time, there is always more stories to be shared and connections to be made. Now we'll hear an excerpt of an interview recorded on the tour with another participant and long-time nuclear-free campaigner, Bilbo Taylor. He's now based in Western Australia and an organiser of another tour which is just about to set off on their annual Walkajira Walkabout. Thanks to Jem Rommeld for recording this excerpt from one of the meetings. It was recorded on the edges of Lake Eyre on Arabana country, from where the water is drawn for the Olympic Dam uranium mine, around 42 million litres a day, that is turning to radioactive tailings at the end of the mining process. Bilbo was camped at the site where this was recorded with the Keepers of Lake Eyre, a protest camp led by Arabana elder Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, that started in the year 2000.
0: that sort of tactic happened a lot like we were often in court with western mining um, often they would come in and raid camp and take everything and house it down at Roxby and shipping containers and <coughs> so there's many uh, aberrations of the camp we'd, we'd get pulled down and stolen and then we'd just rebuild it again and pull down and stolen and rebuild and, and like you know it's continuously like that um, we'd often have hired security thugs from the mine up in the sand dunes monitoring us and beating us with laser sights and they'd just come in and do drive-bys with cameras and harass people and you know it was pretty nasty but we had I don't know the strength came from the authority that we had to be here <coughs> and so what's the tenure of the land here? pastoral lease this is Stuart Creek cattle station which one? Stuart Creek it you was that. hey that. it was owned by Western Mining and I'm pretty sure it's owned by BHP now uh, okay. at the time so they yeah. could say uh, they're just. They. well no actually they couldn't That's it was weird because it's an aboriginal camp and under past release act bower shelters tin sheds are aboriginal dwellings and they can't be removed mm-hmm. they have no legal right to evict us you know they kept trying and trying and yeah. trying.
2: Were there particular factors that brought it to an end in 2004?
1: Then that you can, like, what happened in uh, that
0: part? I think we just what ran out of Austin? steam, yeah. you know. And okay. these, these, long these sort of things have a uh, life expectancy. Yeah. You know, you can't do it forever. And
2: that's what I'm getting at. Was a natural yeah. evolution rather than a forced eviction. Yeah.
0: yeah. We, you know, Kevin had decided we wanted to do other things we were engaged in Supreme and High Court cases for genocide and you know we, the focus had shifted to Canberra basically yep. and that's where we led the, the charge from there and of course and a large number of us were walking to Japan so it's a natural natural attrition for these things yeah but it's like yeah welcome <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it's mixed emotions it's what mixed emotions Mm -hmm. yeah the big thing about this whole uranium stuff is i said it the other night it's like the epitome of colonialism Mm -hmm. it's bad enough that they mine uranium and use that shit, and it goes around the world to poison people and maybe the effects of the uranium mine at Roxby is not the most dangerous thing in this community but the loss of land and the loss of liberty the loss of water the loss of culture and the loss of sustainability the loss of being able to access your land from the comfort and culture of your uh, com- comfort of your culture and the loss of you know all of that stuff is an act of genocide. And
1: breaking up communities yep. and families.
0: It's that's one of the worst things about mines. It's as bad as the uranium. That's the thing that's the most upsetting for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Then
0: it's a life choice to do that a yeah. Life choice. Oh yes, yeah, a lifestyle mm. choice. Mm. But it's like it's true, like Roxby is this big gigantic behemoth <laughs> that mines water, chews resources makes a lot of money for BHP, employs a few thousand people, but the cost of that is this whole area is being desiccated. The cultures that have lived here are not going to survive it, you know. They're really fighting for their survival, so... And it's, it happens all around the world.
1: It's always indigenous oh, yeah. people, it's always, indigenous. it's always
0: poor people that are suffering the cost of these industries, so... Colonialists, and until we stop, our, we, we have to. Aboriginal people don't need to be decolonized or colonialized. We are the ones that have to break that colonial mentality. Aboriginal people aren't colonized, we are the ones who are colonized. And that's what you're fighting when you're fighting this. You're fighting colonial mentalities and a colonial system that's well entrenched and very powerful. And yeah, on the other hand, you have Aboriginal people who have a dual identity in saying so they have the traditional identity, connection to country, culture spanning back tens of thousands of years of knowledge and, you know, and then they have to fit into this other world. And there's this great big cultural divide in between them. Most white people don't ever have to cross this cultural divide unless they meet an Aboriginal person. Aboriginal people have to cross this confusing cultural divide every single day of their lives in order to get to beg for resources and access to the wider Australian community. And it's got to stop. That's the colonial system. You know, it makes beggars out of the people who are the traditional custodians. You know, everyone should be allowed to access the benefits of modern Australia from the comfort of their own culture and languages. Mm -hmm. And it should be respected. That's what you're fighting. You're fighting colonialism. And that's what the fight up here is really about, was fighting that system. Mm -hmm. And it still is, you know. And it's not getting better now. We've got Tony Abbott in. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So anyway, it's getting late. Mm. We probably should set up camp.
1: Yeah. And I just also wanted to mention that uh, the, I th- Uncle Kev wants to come up here again next year. First there was the Lizard's Revenge. So that's the lizard story, the underground lizard that we heard about the other night. Kalta, the sleepy one. Um, and now it's the Lizard Bites Back. back. <laughs> <laughs> Which will be next winter. Don't know dates yet, but um, it's a call out yeah, for a convergence up here. Uh, to, to protest the mine and what's continuing on there. Uh, they've been talking about reopening, um, the idea of an expansion. Yep. And they've also been talking about doing acid leaching. Yep. Um, so, they're yeah, the mine's not going away any time soon, but there's fronts, vulnerable fronts, on which to um, try to confine it at oh. least.
0: We'll see. And when we, we go down the Boarfield Road, it's about 120-odd kilometres. To Roxby Downs, you'll see the pipelines on your right hand side, the booster pump stations, and then you'll get to an area that's basically being flattened. That mm-hmm. was the groundwork for the stalled expansion. Mm. All of that area was like these beautiful carpets of stert desert peas, which is the floral emblem of the Arabanan people. Mm. It was part of Western Mining's propaganda of desert ecosystem park, blah blah blah. But sand dunes and sand dunes and sand dunes and virgin bushland has been destroyed just in the initial process of exploring you know to do an expansion that may or may not go ahead so they just destroyed tens of thousands of hectares of land.
1: Featured in that recording was Bilbo Taylor who is now working on the nuclear-free campaign in Western Australia, where they are fighting against many new mining proposals that are pushing again to open up the uranium industry there. You also heard Jem Rommeld talking about the Lizard's Revenge Camp, which is coming up in 2016, and we'll hear more about that on future shows. In the meantime, you can go to the Lizard's Revenge Facebook page. This is the radioactive show heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Now with some more tales from the tour is another member of the Radioactive Exposure Tour organising collective, Jamila Rushton. Firstly, can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with the Radioactive Exposure Tour this year?
3: Sure. Um, Well, after um, joining the Radioactive Exposure Tour last year as a participant, um, I was really inspired to get more involved with the work that ACE do. Um, so became involved with the ACE Collective and um, then spent my first year on rad tour this year as an organiser. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's been a really interesting experience for me, going from participant to organiser. Um, yeah, really amazing learning curve and kind of getting into learning a lot about the nuclear industry, um, what's been happening, especially
2: over the last 12 months. Um,
1: mm. Yeah. Excellent. And what were the main... Uh, I guess developments and differences that you've noticed between, yeah, what, what you were looking at on the tour last year and sure. compared to this year? Yeah.
3: So the tour is pretty different this year to last year. Last year we were travelling um, through South Australia and up into the Northern Territory to visit with the Makati mob um, who are contesting a nuclear waste dump on their land in the Northern Territory. Um, but that was, that case was won. Um, their fight was won in uh, last year in June, so we didn't feel the need to journey all the way up there with them. Although we would have loved to have gone and celebrated. Um, but this year we kind of changed tact and changed directions to follow more of the um, more pressing recent issues that are happening. Um, so we journeyed through to New South Wales to ANSTO, um, to Lucas Heights Medical Reactor, uh, the research reactor there and um, had a tour there and met with some officials at that site. It was really interesting for us because there is um, a plan to bring back um, waste that's been reprocessed in um, France and the UK um, and they're building an interim storage there at Lucas Heights so we were able to visit that unit and um, put a lot of pressure on staff there as to where that waste will go um, once once it's arrived back from overseas, um, because it was destined to go to Mukherjee, but that plan's been shelved. Um, So, yeah, we were able to sort of put a lot of pressure on them as to the design of the facility that's being planned and, you know, the relevance of a remote location, which is still being pushed for. Um, Yeah, and then we also, from there, went out to Dubbo and um, met with people in that community who are really worried about a mining project that's going to be happening there where uranium will be placed in tailings dams, Um, and that was another one of the main issues that was kind of directing this year's radioactive exposure tour into that part of the country. Uh, Following there, we journeyed further west and back into South Australia, um, which is sort of familiar territory for the RAD tour, um, and spent a bit of time there discussing the South Australian Royal Commission, um, which is looking at expanding several different aspects of the nuclear industry there as well Mm. before arriving
1: into Adelaide. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, yeah, a really amazing amount of ground covered. And what was the most powerful experience for you on the tour? I had to think about this one. The most powerful experience for me, I guess, was
3: quite early on, actually. Um, It was when we were staying just south of Sydney and we heard from um a guy called Brett who's um originally from out Dubbo way um an indigenous guy and he was you know telling us about what was happening up at the Dubbo site and about you know the havoc that had been caused in their community um the divide that's been going on in the community up there around you know placing the mine and the damage that that's going to do to the land and the community. And, yeah, just, I guess, so early on, especially in my mind, as I've sort of been really thinking about logistics and planning and, you know, had been in organisational mode, to kind of have him share that story and just how damaging it's been um, to him personally and also to his community was just a real reminder of what the RADs was about. Um, it's about hearing from people that are being, you know, being adversely affected by the nuclear industry and, you know, what it's doing to communities. Um, So, yeah, I guess that was really moving for me and a really kind of good reminder early on as to what, you know, what we're we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve by, um, you know, taking people on this trip and introducing them to what's going on in the industry. Mm. And
1: so how is participating in the tour... I guess, affected you now that you're back in Melbourne and settling back to regular life? Um, I
3: think it takes a little bit of time to settle back into Melbourne after you've been on such an epic journey like that. Um, but I guess it's it's inspired me to continue, continue learning about the industry and continue to campaign. Um, I'm really interested in um, con- like following what's happening with, selection um for the national nuclear waste facility i'm interested to see what happens when that shortlist is re- released i think later this month um and kind of try and talk to communities that are likely to be affected and established whether or not you know this is a really good idea or not um yeah so it's kind of renewed my enthusiasm to work on certain campaigns and yeah, just keep keep going and keep fighting the
1: good fight, I guess. That was Jamila Rushton from the Anti-Nuclear and Clean Energy Collective with some inspiration from the recent Radioactive Exposure Tour 2015. If you'd like to read more about the tour, you can go to foe.org.au backslash radtour or read the tour blog at radioactivetour.com. The radioactive show was produced in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Wurundjeri, a part of the Kulin Nation, and broadcast across the continent through the Community Radio Network. Thanks so much to Hannah Walters and Jamila Rushton for joining us on the show, and to Bilbo Taylor and Jam Romald for the recording made during the tour on the edge of Lake Eyre in Arabana Country. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us via email radioactive.3cr at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. The podcast of today's show and others like it can be found at 3cr.org.au backslash radioactive. That's all we've got time for today, but we'll be back next week with more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. Until then, take care.